You're not alone. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Mines X-Wing podcast, a podcast dedicated to the backbone of the X-Wing community. That's right, people just like you doing what they can to get better at the game. I'm your host, Sailor Joe, and uh, this week is going to be another short episode. Um, I've just got a lot going on, um, both uh, personally and professionally, and uh, but I wanted to make sure that I'm also getting you an episode. So, with that said, let's go ahead and move on to our first segment. List building with Joe. All right, this week I've got CIS for you. So to start off the list, we've got, of course, you can include uh, or make a CIS list without this pilot now, uh, and that's General Grievous with Outmaneuver, Impervium Plating, Solus 1, and Afterburners. Then you've got DBS-404 in the Hyena-class Droid Bomber with Advanced Proton Torpedoes, Ion Missiles, Independent Calculations, and Landing Struts. Chertek with Ensnare and Gravitic Deflection. And three Trade Federation drones, all with Grappling Struts and Independent Calculations. So the idea behind this is you send your uh, Vulture Droids up the middle uh, to basically contest anything that comes up there. Plan on um, some rocks or asteroids that are there and uh, just be a relative pain in the rear end. Then you run DPS close with those vulture droids and all you're doing there is trying to get him close so he can get that six die advanced proton torpedo off and uh, then General Grievous and Chertek will be running on either flank or maybe on the same flank, depending on how you want to set up. And uh, to punish any ships that your opponent decides to let wander off on its own. So anyway, uh, I expect in the coming weeks you'll probably see a few more CIS lists and scum lists coming out of me. Because I will tell you, I am super excited about the uh, upcoming expansions. Um, that Rogue Class Starfighter uh, just looks amazing, and I am excited to put that on the table, both for SCUM and CIS, see what I can come up with. So uh, I hope you are looking forward to that as well. But with that said, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. AMG Rules Forum. Alright, first one, Thane versus Impervium Plating. OP, Thane, reads, While you perform an attack, you may spend one focus, hit, or crit result to look at the defender's face-down damage cards. Choose one and expose it. Impervium Plating, reads, Before you would be dealt a face-up ship damage card, you may spend one charge to discard it instead. If Thane goes to expose damage cards and there are only ship cards available, what happens? Number one, the flipped up damage card is discarded repairing the ship. Or two, 
The card is exposed, not dealt, so impervium plating has no effect. I'm suspecting two. Answer. Exposing a damage card does not count as dealing a damage card and therefore would not trigger impervium plating. A modification. Next question. Can't rotate a ship because of the nubs. OP. I have another question from the wiki. After a huge ship runs over a small ship, if it is placed flush against the side of the huge ship, can the other player not rotate it because the nubs get in the way? Here's their full question. My son and I just had a fun situation come up. I moved a small ship, my own, to the rear arc as described by the rules. Specifically, I put it parallel and facing the same direction as my huge ship at range zero. Per the rules, what happens when my son tries to rotate it using the position marker from the course as described? Hint, it wouldn't fit at 90 because of the nubs. We elected that since it can't be rotated as described, it was put back in the original position. Here's the exact rules. After a huge ship completes its maneuver, each standard ship that was picked up and placed in the huge ship's full rear arc at range 0 to 1. Starting with the first player, players take turn placing any of their standard ships that were not that were picked up. Any standard ship that cannot be placed is destroyed. After a player places a ship, they must choose an opponent who may rotate the ship 90 degrees to the left or right using the position marker from the core set. Answer. Yes, as the guide count when determining if a ship's over overlaps or not if you tried to rotate and the guys would over overlap the ship base you would not be able to rotate next question huge ship debris fields op is the is the debris fields that came with the imperial raider in the 1.0 release looks like a bruzo, a broken gazanti legal in any format answer not an official tournament play, but there's nothing stopping you from using it in casual play. I would recommend talking to your opponent first to see if they are happy for it to be used, though, as it's not an obstacle that is commonly seen. Next question. Feedback ping and device timing. OP. If someone lands on a cluster mine or a proximity mine or moves through it and is between... Range 0 to 1, do the device effects happen first and feedback ping doesn't happen? Or does the maneuver get fully executed, feedback ping happens, and then the device effects are results? Answer. Mines detonate before feedback ping can trigger, specifically between the maneuver ship and check difficulty step. Next question. Needs, need clarification on Countess Riot. OP. Need clarification on Countess Riot. Recently came into a heated debate on a rule about Countess Riot. Firstly, can you explain exactly when stress tokens are removed? The start of the blue maneuver or end of during? Here's the situation. Countess Riot was stressed. One stress token. I assign a five straight blue maneuver to remove the stress. I executed that blue maneuver, removed the strike, and decided to use her ability to do a 
K-turn and received another stress token. Here's where the debate kicked in. My understanding was that the stress tokens are removed at the start of the blue remover, so my move was legal and within the rules. Please help for clarification on this. Thanks. Answer. Stress is removed during the check difficulty step of the maneuver, step two. In this example, Countess Ryad would have revealed the blue maneuver, but in choosing to execute the K-turn maneuver instead, would have to increase the difficulty to white, leaving her with the stress token she began with. As outlined in the rules reference guide under maneuver, a ship can execute a maneuver by resolving the following steps in order. 1. Ship Maneuver Ship during this step, the ship moves using the matching template. A. Take the template that matches the maneuver from the supply. B. Set the template between the ship's front guide so that it's flush against the base. C. Pick up and place the ship at the opposite end of the template and slide the rear guides of the ship into the template. D. Return template to supply. 2. Check difficulty. During this step, if the maneuver is red, the ship gains one stress token. If the maneuver is blue, the ship removes one stress token and one strain token and one deplete token. Next one, novice technician timing. Novice technician reads, this is from the OP. At the end of the round, you may roll one attack die to repair one face-up damage card. Then, on a hit result, expose one damage card. So when does this trigger? After the end phase or during the end phase? If so, which of the four steps? Answer. The end of the round occurs during the end phase after step four, but before the criteria for winning the game are checked. Next one. Epic ship overlapping electro-traff crowds. OP. If a huge slash epic ship overlaps an electro-traff cloud, is the cloud removed from the game, or do you remove one fuse marker from the cloud? Answer. When a fused obstacle would be removed, one fuse marker is removed from the obstacle instead, and the obstacle is not removed. If this is still the case, this is still the case should a huge ship overlap an electro chaff cloud. Alright, next one. Malice. OP. Malice says you may gain two force if the enemy is dealt a face-up pilot or crew damage card. Are there any crew damage cards? And what constitutes a crew crit? Answer. The huge ship damage deck contains crew and ship damage cards. As a reminder, there are no card images or external leaks allowed in posts. Next question. Perpendicular side arc measurements. OP. When measuring an attack, where the closest point to closest point is perpendicular to the side arc, do you measure from the cardboard or the plastic base of the attacking ship's side arc? Thank you in advance. Answer. The attack range is determined by measuring range from the closest point of the attacker to the closest point of the defender that is in the attack arc. When measuring out of one of the side arcs, the closest point would be the plastic ship base. And the last one that we'll read today is Auto Blaster's interaction with sensor buoys. OP. When shooting at a sensor buoy, 
Can Auto Blasters deal a crit that cannot be canceled due to not being in the target's front arc, given that the buoy has no firing arcs? Answer. No. As per the rules reference guide under remotes, if a remote does not have any firing arcs, a ship cannot be in or outside of any of that remote's arcs. Alright, so that gets us through a few more of those, and i kind of been doing a little bit extra of these because we just skipped a couple of weeks, and uh, I want to move through the rules reference as I know um, a spike of new questions get in with upcoming releases. So what did I want to talk about in the rest of the episode? Well, kind of a, a conglomeration of things. The, the first one being... Just a general update on Kyber Cup. Ooh, excuse me. So, um, I am now, um, believe it or not, 2-0 in Kyber Cup. Um, I faced two opponents. Uh, Nathan Horgan was my last one. And, um, oh, Double Doc. What was, what was his name? Keenan Double Doc Childs was the other um, person that I faced. So we already talked about uh, Double Doc's list a little bit. Um, he was flying the Weineken Republic list. And then my most current opponent was flying actually a pretty interesting list. And um, I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to... Um, how I was going to overcome this list. And I'll, I'll tell you why here in just one second. All right, here it is. I finally found it. Uh, so Nathan was flying uh, Pierce Bach with Elusive Connernet's Shield Upgrade, Lieutenant Lurier with Outmaneuver, Hole Upgrade, and Sensitive Controls, Light and Dree with Fire Control System, Sync Laner Cannons, and the targeting assist and night beasts with three obsidian ties. So we've got a seven ship list. So I was a little concerned with it um, in that it was seven ships. Um, but at the same time, everyone but Pierce Sabak was a lower initiative than I was. So that gave me a little bit of hope. Um, I knew just looking at his list that I needed to prioritize Lighten uh, because she is the offensive linchpin to his list. So I made sure uh, when we set up the board um, to go through and really punish Lighten. And then I pired Pierre Sabak to slow him down and kind of keep him off. Uh, so I can get the rest of my ships into position, and I won't, I won't bat rep both games for you, um, but what what I will say on it is um, the first match that I um, played against, uh, I ended up going, oh what was it? Um, I think it was 20 to 
16, maybe less. Um, I'm trying to remember and I, and I just not right now, but I can tell you, and this is just cause I just finished this game a little while ago. I went, uh, 24 and nine in five rounds with the second game. And it kind of led me to the topic that I wanted to discuss today. And I think I'm particularly sensitive to this topic because uh, of the time that I've spent uh, growing in the game and being frustrated at um, bad variants. So here's here's what I mean by that is um, it was very evident during the second game that uh, the dice did not want to play ball with my opponent in key uh, key engagements. Like um, Scorch probably should have died twice and didn't. Um, there was. Uh, another couple of times where um, he had static dead to rights and uh, I needed to roll three natural evades in order to survive and ended up rolling three natural evades. Um, there were times where I was getting hits and crits in, um, and he was not getting the matching results. And it was, it felt, and, and I want to emphasize that, felt like a dice game. And, but if you looked at it and were watching the game and how it played out, my opponent, my opponent definitely made some mistakes in his deployment, in his actions, uh, in his maneuvers. Um, so that, that leads me to the question, right, that I, that I've been building up now for a couple minutes is what do you do in that situation where it's appears to be a dice game, but it's actually not. And here's why I'm saying that is because we went back and we looked at the dice statistics after the game. And while they don't tell you everything, what they what they told was that his red dice were pretty abysmal. Uh, his green dice were way above average. And it worked out that his overall dice score was slightly um, better than my overall dice score. And again, that doesn't tell the full story. Um, but when it comes down to it, and I, I have nothing but respect for uh, Nathan. He was a great opponent, but he made mistakes. Um, and it wasn't all dice, even though it felt like dice. So how do you carry yourself in that type of game? Um, do you do you play to your opponent's um, frustrations and you know apologizing for the the bad variants, or do you? 
point out your opponent's errors in their flying. Um, for me personally, it kind of boils down to I kind of walk the middle of the line there. Um, where I really think you kind of need to read your opponent on this. You have to be able to see kind of what they're doing. Uh, it doesn't feel good, uh, at least to me, it doesn't feel good to win through a dice game. Um, and it doesn't feel good to win when your opponent makes mistakes. Um, I personally like winning when my opponent's at my best and I'm at my best and I've bested their best, if that makes sense at all. And I just didn't get that sense out of this game. Now, it, it could be the, the time difference. It could be the... Um, it, it could be a, a number of, of things. Um, my opponent was played early on in first edition and then took a break and then kind of picked back up in 2.5 where I've been playing... Uh, pretty regularly and consistently since uh, since 1.0. Um, I don't remember which wave is. I think it was 11 or 12. Um, but I've been playing X-Wing consistently since then. And um, I I just, I don't know, something about 2.5, like I, I really like and I'm enjoying it. Um, so I'm glad that my opponent was able to uh, play the game and enjoy the game. Um, but I just, I felt bad because the dice were clearly, clearly betraying him at uh, key moments in the game. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you deal with uh, games that are clearly dice games and games that... Uh, are clearly the fault of poor decision-making, and then games that are in the middle where they appear one way or the other, but they're actually the the opposite problem. Um, what, do you, what do you do in that? And I'm, I'm going to kind of double down on the, you know, I think you need to read your opponent and see, because I think if you take the hard line of, well, if my opponent made mistakes, I'm just going to point out the mistakes. It kind of feels like uh, a win, not not necessarily a win harder situation, but it feels like you're, uh, for, for lack of a better term, being a dick about it. Um, and I'm not sure that that's the right answer, but I'm also not sure that um, pointing out the the negative variance is a way to go either. I don't know, maybe maybe there's not a happy medium in this. Um, what I will say is, uh, uh, Nathan and Keenan, if you uh, do ever listen to this podcast, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, secondly, I really, really enjoyed our games. Uh, I hope we get to play again at some point. Uh, and best of luck to you in the rest of Kyber Cup. So anyway, I think that'll do it for uh, this episode. Thank you so much for listening. 
please consider leaving a review however you consume it. Uh, it really means a lot to me, and I've noticed that y'all have been really good about doing this more, and it just makes me so giddy every time I see a, uh, a, a comment from you all, so thank you for that. Uh, as you know, I like to end every podcast with a question, and this week's question is, which pack are you more excited about? The Clone Z95 or the Rogue Class Starfighter? This is Sailor Joe, signing off.